Well, if you have your Bibles with you this evening, turn with me once again to the book of Nahum in the Old Testament. Nahum, which you can find between Micah and Habakkuk. The book of Nahum, chapter 3. We have two more weeks, Lord willing, in this great prophet. And this evening, we will be considering verses 8 through 11. Verses 8 through 11. Before we hear the preaching and reading of God's word, let's go before him once again in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for these very words through the prophet Nahum, given to us today. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word to our hearts and to our minds. We pray that your spirit, Lord, would open our hearts to receive your word and to cherish it and to live according to it, we pray. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Nahum chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. Are you better than no Amon that was situated by the river that had the waters around her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall was the sea? Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was boundless. Put and Lubum were your helpers. Yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. They cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunk. You will be hidden. You also will seek refuge from the enemy. And thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, beloved, as we've studied this prophecy, we well know that Nineveh and Assyria thought that they were at the top of everything, that they were above everyone. Their pride and their arrogance took them to places that they should have never gone. It took them to heights that they should have never climbed to as the rungs of that ladder were built on the backs and the bodies of their victims in their murderous conquest and their widespread evil. However, again, Nahum gives us an unfolding exposition here of the character of God as it applies to this ruthlessly evil nation. And as the holy and righteous character of God has been unfolded verse by verse, we've seen that God hasn't overlooked any of the Ninevites' sin. In fact, the punishments and judgment that he would carry out would be proportional to their crimes. They were a bloody city, literally a city of bloods, with a constant stream of victims and corpses. And therefore, their blood would be shed by the Lord's army. There would be so many corpses that those assessing the scene would lose count of them. And as the Assyrian army intimidated their victims with their men, chariots, horses, and weapons, so too they would soon be intimidated by the same battle array of Nebuchadnezzar's army. As the Ninevites brought shame to nations they conquered, 
they soon would experience great shame at the hand of God. He would expose their filthiness to the nation and make them vile, he said. Remember that in sin, people often try to conceal and to hide what is really there. Oftentimes, they can become self-deceived about the actual condition of their thoughts, their actions, and their wickedness. It's not that bad, or, or it's, it's better than it looks, right? But when the light of God's truth and His holiness and His righteous standard shines upon them and exposes them, it becomes clear to everyone just how sinful and shameful their sinning condition really is. What would such divine exposure bring for them? People wouldn't run to care for or to console them, Nahum said. They would flee from them. There would be no comforters for Assyria, professional or otherwise. And so as much as Nineveh was on their high horse, as Nahum continues in our text tonight, he gives them a comparison to bring them down to reality. First, Let's consider Nahum's question of, are you better? In verses 8 and 9. We'll also consider his pointing out Thebes in captivity in verse 10. As well as Assyria being drunk with no refuge in verse 11. So look with me there. As we see in verse 8, as Nineveh viewed themselves as being the most esteemed, the most feared, the most successful city that was a part of the greatest empire. They saw themselves as better than everyone. But really then, Nahum asks the poignant question in verse 8a. Are you better than no Ammon? Now what is no Ammon? Well, it was an ancient Egyptian city. Some scholars believe this name referred to the city of the Ospolis. Others, Alexandria. However, still others believe, and I agree, that undoubtedly even in the name, no Ammon refers to the city of the god Ammon, known to be the chief of the Egyptian gods. And no Ammon is otherwise known as Thebes, an ancient and a uh, magnificent metropolis in Upper Egypt. It was located on the Nile, about 400 miles upstream from Memphis. And some scholars believe that it may have had moats and rivers as defenses. Now we read details of God's judgment against Ammon in Jeremiah 46, 25, and 26. You can turn with me there to find. Jeremiah 46, verses 25 and 26. There we read. The Lord of hosts... The God of Israel says, Behold, I will bring punishment on Ammon of No, and Pharaoh in Egypt, with their gods and their kings, Pharaoh and those who trust in him. And I will deliver them into the hand of those who seek their lives, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and the hand of his servants. Afterward, it shall be inhabited as in the days of old, says the Lord. So we see this prophecy regarding punishment coming to Ammon of 
knows, he says. But Ezekiel also prophesied divine judgment that would come against Noah. In Ezekiel 30, verses 14 through 16. Ezekiel 30, verses 14 through 16. There we read, I will make Paphros desolate, set fire to Zoan, and execute judgments in Noah. I will pour my fury on sin, the strength of Egypt. I will cut off the multitude of No, and set a fire in Egypt. Sin shall have great great pain. No shall be split open, and Noth shall be in distress daily. So again, even here in Ezekiel, we see God unfolding punishment against sin in No. But notice three things in these two passages. They both tell us of punishment and judgment that would come upon Noah among. But secondly, the land, notice, would be inhabited again after their punishment. We see that in Jeremiah 46. And thirdly, Jeremiah also points out that Noah among and Nineveh would have a common enemy, Nebuchadnezzar. God would use Nebuchadnezzar as a means of bringing punishment for the sins and crimes of Noamon. Now further in verse 8b in Nahum chapter 3, Nahum shows us a portrait of Noamon's strength. And in doing so, he he points out four things that are designed to show the city's firm standing all of which are related to the city's position around water, notice. Specifically, the river and the sea. The river and the sea. Now, as we look at these, remember that rivers and seas are often emblems of strength in Scripture. In fact, they are strength that only God can overcome, notice. And that's important as we consider why he used these in this description of strength, especially considering what he was about to say in verse 10. So Nahum said that Noamon, quote, was situated by the river that had the waters around her, whose rampart was the sea whose wall was the sea. Notice how the city was fortified by nature. Notice how the river not only nourished their lands, but it also guarded their wall. The sea also fenced them in and seemingly made them impenetrable. And as even more strength, Nahum said in verse 9, Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength. And it was boundless, he said. Put and Lubin were your helpers. So my friends, due to their position, Ethiopia and Egypt undoubtedly strengthened them with, with wealth and trade, possibly military weaponry and equipment. And Put and Lubin were two neighboring countries representing Libya, which Egypt was quite dependent on. 
And they indeed were helpers there. And so to sum it up, there were natural defenses to fortify them, and there were external aids to strengthen them. And so no Ammon was fortified and strong. And so then why does Nahum make this comparison between no Ammon and Nineveh? Why does he ask if they thought Nineveh was better? Because he knew that they did. That's what they thought. Again, they were the top dog. They were the best and the greatest empire and nation. No one was like them. They were better, even better than the best. And so he knew that they thought this way. And the two cities had many things in common. They both had the force of rivers as a defense. Remember, Nineveh was on the Tigris River with a gate and a guard on the river entrance to the city, we learned in earlier chapters. Nineveh was strong and was getting stronger, right? Beloved, we need to keep in mind that it will help to keep uh, us, uh, it will help to keep us with a holy fear, uh, a mindfulness that informs how we live regarding the judgments of God, knowing that we aren't better than those who have fallen under those judgments before us. We deserve them as much as they did. And are just as little able to grapple with them. Praise God for our Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us that holy fear and is at work in our minds and lives by His Spirit, that we would be obedient to Him as we sincerely repent of sin and seek to follow His commands because we have the fear of the Lord before our eyes. And yet... As is true for everyone. Nahum needed to proclaim to Sennacherib how pride comes before fall. The great and mighty thieves would rise, thinking that they could never fall, just like Nineveh. But they did. They did. They were defeated. Sennacherib needed to face the reality and needed to face that comparison of his own future. And Nahum recounted what happened. Look at verse 10. Yet she was carried away. She went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed to pieces at the head of every street. That's a vivid description. They cast lots for her honorable men. And all her great men were bound in chains. Sturdy fortifications, great strength, and steady supply wouldn't help when that city was sieged. They were carried off into captivity, made slaves. There was much death, even with their young children. Nebuchadnezzar would be merciless and without compassion, barbaric even, in his slaughter of them. Consider the cry for justice in Psalm 137, verses 7 through 9, where we read, Remember, O Lord, against the sons of Edom the day of Jerusalem, who said, Raise it, raise it to its very foundation. O daughter of Babylon, who are to be destroyed, happy the one who repays you as you have served us. 
Happy the one who takes and dashes your little ones against the rock. Now wait. How could the psalmist say such a thing about happiness and killing children? This was the cry for retributive justice. That the wicked would receive just punishment, even line-ending punishment, generation-ending punishment, legacy-ending punishment for what they had done to others in like fashion. And again, we see this to be very similar to Nineveh and to Assyria. As we see the Lord unfold, these judgments and what he would do, they're very proportional to the crimes that were committed. Consider then also what God said he would do in Isaiah 13, verses 15 through 16, as he would punish the world for its evil. He said in verse 15, everyone who is found will be thrust through, and everyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their children will also be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives ravished. Also, Nahum said, notice in Nahum 3, that honorable men would be treated with disgrace. Honorable men would be treated with disgrace. And all the great men who were previously rewarded with chains of gold would now be bound with chains of iron into slavery. There would be a complete reversal. What was great would fall because of their pride, because of their wickedness. They would fall. Those who were elevated and exalted would be brought low into slavery and captivity. But Nahum goes on in verse 11. He says, you also will be drunk. You will be hidden. You also will seek refuge from the enemy. Now this is a short verse, but a very powerful verse in what would happen to them. For the Assyrians would be forced to drink the cup of God's wrath and fierce anger. Nineveh would be like those who afflicted Jerusalem in Isaiah 51, verses 17 through 23, where it says, Awake, awake, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk at the hand of the Lord the cup of his fury. You have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling and drained it out. There was no one to guide her among all the sons she had brought forth, nor is there any who takes her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have come to you. Who will be sorry for you? Desolation and destruction, famine and sword, by whom will I comfort you? Verse 20, your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets. Notice the similarity. Like an antelope in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, please hear this, you afflicted and drunk, but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord and your God, who pleads the cause of his people. 
See, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. You shall no longer drink it. But I will put it into the hand of those who afflict you, who have said to you, Lie down, that we may walk over you. And you have laid your body like the ground, as the street for those who walk over. Beloved, see the, see the similarities here between uh, Jerusalem here and their affliction and, and the cup of wrath that they drank and then the mercy of God as he pulled that away from them and as he gave it to their enemies, their afflictors. See that even here with Judah and Nineveh as God used Assyria and Nineveh to take them into captivity, to afflict them and to chasten them. But here yet again we see his mercy, right, and his wrath and his fury that is now going to be poured out on Nineveh, and they are going to be judged, they are going to be wiped out, and his people saved. The cup would now go into their hands. Nineveh would drink God's cup of wrath. And they would seek to hide themselves from God. They would seek to be hidden. Even like Adam and Eve in the garden when they sinned. What did they do? They hid themselves. If we can just hide from God, maybe we can avoid the encounter. Oh no. The Lord sees all. He would find them out. But even they would go to their enemies to find refuge to escape from him. The place that they would never, ever go normally and in any other condition. But under the wrath and fearing the judgment of Almighty God and enduring that, they would go and they would flee, happily thinking that they could find some type of refuge and solace from his fury. Yet he knew that. They could not escape. Desperation. With no reprieve. No hope. I'll leave you with this this evening. As we consider the lack of hope, the desperation and the lack of reprieve in Assyria, also consider the blessed hope that we have in Christ. Beloved, remember this and never forget it. Remember the words of Christ, your Savior, to his Father. In Matthew 26, 39. It says, He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And again in verse 42. O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Beloved, Christ was crushed by God the Father as he drank that cup of wrath and eternal wrath of the eternal God to the dregs on the cross. That you wouldn't be like Nineveh, having to drink it yourself with the weight of your sin and his wrath upon you unto death and damnation. Hear this tonight. In doing so, Christ paid for your sins of pride and arrogance like Nineveh. 
those great sins that would cause us to think that we're better in our flesh than others who have fallen. And because of this great love and work for us, he calls us then to live for him with a holy fear and a humble obedience to him. He has rescued and redeemed us from the great enemy, from the great afflictor, from the great persecutor of God's people. His son drank the cup so that we would So we have this holy fear. We have this holy and wonderful zeal to obey our holy God. Praise Him and thank Him and love Him and serve Him with your whole heart considering this wonderful truth. Praise God. Pray together.